Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com, where the orchard of wisdom is just ready for picking. We celebrate your why, the journey that you've taken that inspires someone else. We support your services. We support your story. Come and be our guest. Become a host. Be an author with us. Come and see what we've got. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters. I am your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Pashta Merimun. Deaf midwifery. What is that? Have you ever heard of it before? You know what a midwife is. is. A midwife brings life into the world. So a deaf midwife helps life exit. We all like to go in a sense of dignity with as least pain and stress as possible. And that's what a dead midwife's job is. I'm going to give you a summary of Sidir's definition of deaf midwifery so you know what we're talking about here today. In the simplest sense, a modern day deaf midwife is a facilitator who offers a continuum of direct integrated guidance and support to the deaf journeyer, their family and throughout a personalized and participatory pan-deaf process. Also, traditionally, this role was considered women's work. Today, men serve as midwives as they do as birth wives. So this is what we're going to be talking about today, folks. I guess you just didn't know that there were midwives to help you pass over gracefully. And why shouldn't there be? There has always been since the beginning of time. And so why shouldn't there be now? It's really, really important that we have an open mind and understand that these roles have been here as for such a long time but somewhere along the line they've got lost and now they seem to be in question that they even existed in the first place but wouldn't you like to know that you could go in your own home with your loved ones around you with someone there supporting who knew what they were doing to guide you through the process even to have the body in the home for a couple of days where people could come and say goodbye giving you that transition of letting that person cross over and letting you accept the ending because obviously it's not an ending of the spirit, the soul or their presence, just an ending of that vessel. But we need to process it, don't we? And we need to absorb what is happening. And sometimes when it happens in a clinical sense, it feels like these people are being ripped from us and we didn't have any chance to close the door. So let us go with Pashta today down this journey to actually understand the benefits of it, but also the challenge he has in bringing this name back into legal because somewhere on the line someone decided it didn't exist anymore. Welcome to the show, Pashta. Welcome to you and to everyone who's watching and thank you very much, Sarah. This is, um, um, I can't understand why there is a confusion to people of, it's obvious to me, if you have somebody help you coming in, it has always been in many, many cultures for a very long time of people being there helping you exit in the world. Why is it something that's so difficult for people to grasp today? Um, partially, well, there's a whole history of what happened to, um, to midwifery as a whole. And, and I am talking about a dual role here because in ancient times, it was often the midwives who did the birthing and the deathing. Mm -hmm. um, and in the late 19th century, there was a beginning movement into the beginning of the 20th century that birth midwifery went into obstetrics mm -hmm. and death midwifery went into the funeral industry. Right. And that became uh, common enough in our culture in the 20th century that people uh, lost track of the fact that there were there these more natural personalized ways of doing things and the birth midwifery revival started mm. uh, earlier about 20 earlier than the death midwifery revival um, sometimes in part because of the fact that uh, some of the people who became death midwives had been involved in birthing not necessarily as birth midwives but I myself was birth coach to four children and worked with birth midwives. Um, so when I came across the concept of birth midwifery, it just automatically made sense to me. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, if I'm, my mom passed over at home. Um, there wasn't anyone there other than my sister at the time. My brother had just literally had said goodbye to him, gone away for a couple of days respite. And, um, 
I know that she was having a very difficult time of crossing over. She, she wanted to die. She was in a lot of pain. She was 95. And there was just that, why won't they come and take me? You know, why won't mm -hmm. they help me? And of course, you know, my sister was there, but there under that stress of being the children, you know, wanting to make sure she's out of pain. And um, I actually put out a prayer vigil on Facebook to all my friends. You know, my mom needs help. The angels need to break through to help. And so many people, over 100 people sent prayers. And my sister said it was a rainy day. And all of a sudden, the sun came out and just shone right down on my mom. And she literally opened her eyes and opened her hands and just passed away. And that was within 24 hours of that prayer vigil, which shows how beautiful that energy can be. Yeah. But she needed help in crossing over. Part of it, she wasn't afraid to die per se, but I think it was the dying process she didn't know how to do. And she didn't, you know, nobody had any of that guidance around there. Everybody was more stressed about the pain she was in. And this is, we're having somebody who can help not only the person cross over, but the family go through the process and take away that stress because it's stressful on everyone. And we want it to be a peaceful transaction, don't we? Yes, exactly. And it really is very much about the whole family and the family, including chosen family too. Yes, yes. Especially in our modern culture, we often don't have our family around what we have, our friends and neighbors, our faith communities, our hobby communities. Mm -hmm. The people that we have grown close to um, aren't necessarily blood family or marriage family, right. right? So family really for us includes all of the close relationships. Right. You know, um, the people that have been there, you just because it's blood doesn't mean necessarily it should be there. You know, it's the people you've chosen to go with in yes. your life. You've chosen to journey with them in your life. So why wouldn't you choose them to be there on your exit of life, right? You know, it makes sense. Yeah. And they're the ones who know you best, yeah. who have the best ideas on how to comfort you, how to relieve stress, relieve pain, um, and also hopefully, to support the people who are caregiving. Right, right. And, you know, you've got some videos which are lovely, which is just really showing the process after a person has died of, you know, the moving of them into another room, the, the cleaning of them, the dressing and the preparing of them, you know, for that kind of, um, for people to come and say their goodbyes. And there's a process where some people go, oh, I couldn't do that. They're dead. You know, I can't do that. But then there's also something very cathartic about doing it, isn't it? It's like you're paying your last respects. You're seeing that person cross over and, and in the preparing of them and everything, it's, I think it's a way of, of, of letting go. And at the same time, you know, just, I mean, it's, you describe it because you see it. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing an excellent job, Sarah. Um, certainly what I've seen over and over again is people being reticent hmm. about doing the physical death care. And uh, quite most often, there's usually one person who has decided that they want this. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the family is kind of perhaps tolerating the idea. <laughs> yeah. and, and often they'll say, well, we'll witness, but we won't actually be involved. And then when it starts to happen, it's, it's amazing. I can't even explain what happens because sometimes it happens in, in just a blink of a second. Yeah. that they move from this position of I couldn't possibly touch the body or at least, you know, I, I, um, I'm very res resistant to that idea. Like it, maybe I could, but I'm not sure I want to. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. to jumping in and yeah. wanting to be part of it. And uh, one of my favorite stories is about a home funeral where the wife said that she didn't think that she could be involved, and but she was definitely going to witness it. She was the one who chose to have a home funeral. And um, so we were washing the body, and we got to a particular part, and she said she was worried about us taking care of it. And her granddaughter-in-law <laughs> said, well, I'm a care aide. You know, it doesn't bother me. And I said, well, it doesn't bother me. Um, so we started. And she came over and she was leaning over us. And I just put my hand out with the washcloth in it. And she took the washcloth. And I'm sure that she got rid of every bed spell <laughs> that was there. Right? It was so completely thorough and so completely engrossed in it. And it was just a split second. Yeah. 
a shift, right? Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot um, with people who are, are resistant. So sort of once it's actually there, and you talked about the process being cathartic, and I would agree. Uh, the word I often use coming out of the, the 60s and 70s and 80s is gestalt, that, there, that there's something that happens when you put your hands on that body that goes beyond the intellect or even beyond the heart. Mm -hmm. It's like it goes down into the gut. And, and so. you know that we... We hold a lot of emotion in our body, in our, our bone structure and in our muscle structure. And when you start touching the body, all of that engages. And so it's like, you know, that the, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. It's yeah. like everything comes together. And I know that, um, you know, when I'm birth coaching, the same process happens. And when I'm birthing, uh, well, not doing the birthing myself, although I've had two children, but uh, when I'm, I am birth coaching, when we get to the point of delivery, everything that could possibly water in me waters. Mm -hmm. I am just streaming from yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because my, my whole being has become engaged, yes. you know, fully engaged with this. And I, I wouldn't say that I water like that around uh, doing death care, but it's the same kind of feeling of somehow everything coming together. And uh, actually last weekend, I uh, filmed a documentary. I was the filmee, <laughs> and I was the person being filmed. And we did a mock death care session. And, uh, and I've actually done this before with another film crew. And the moment that we start, everybody forgets that the film crew is there even though they're, you know, weaving in and out of us, taking close-ups and stuff. Um, I mean, possibly other people notice, but I, I just lose track of them. It's just mm -hmm. I'm engaged in the process. And, um, yeah, so that there's something much, much deeper that happens yeah. and much more holistic that happens when you actually have your hands on the body. And... And you're right very much about the whole process of it, this being the final act mm -hmm. of love or care or respect or however you see it. I mean, it's called different things in different cultures, right. but certainly in non-Western cultures, it's still a tradition and it's still an expected part yes. of, of how we care for the dead. And the reality is we never know when somebody's going to die. You know, the doctor can say... And we're all going, going to. We're all going to. We've got to avoid it. We're all going to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor may say they're going to die in three hours, and they're still there two days later. Yeah. Or they may say they have two weeks, and they die in three days, right? Mm -hmm. We just, we never really know. And so the, the death care, for, especially for the, the primary caregiver who has built their life around caring for this person at home or even if in in the hospital right this or in a, a residential care the primary caregiver still has to build their life around making sure this care is, person is being cared for properly and dealing with all the issues making sure the pain relief is enough and so if you've done that for weeks or months, or in the case of long-term illnesses or dementia, it could be years. And your life has been built around that. And all of a yes. sudden, you know, the, the person dies and within an hour, the funeral attendants come with their gurney and they put the body in a black bag. And what happens in the deep psyche, not intellectually, but in the deep psyche, is that you're left in a kind of netherland. They're not really... They're not dead, or they're not alive. You know they're not alive, but they're also not really dead. Right. And uh, so part of the home funeral experience is giving people, first of all, that last chance. They know that they're going to get their last chance to care for this person and kind of at least partially close off that role. Right. It also gives people who weren't able to be caregivers and maybe feel a little guilty about that mm -hmm. to come in and share that and and kind of take that the the benefits of being a caregiver that they weren't able to have because for whatever reason they weren't being able, weren't able to be involved in the caregiving. And then over the process of three to six days of the body being at home, there's a chance for people to walk slowly uh, towards that distinction between the person they loved 
and the corpse that is now lying in the right. bed. Right? And so by the time a final disposition uh, for burial or cremation, they've already had a chance to let go of the body. This being um, the final curtain. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's like I mean, the end of an act, but, and the curtain's drawn, but, it's, but hang on. You know, yeah. it's the end of the play. We're not going to play this play anymore. We need a few more curtain bows. We, you know, it can't just be a closed curtain and it's over. Because yeah. it may be physically over, but emotionally and, and integrally and everything else, you're still playing that role, right? right? And so, yes, the person who's gone, you know, has a certain time period where, you know, the soul and the spirit leaves the body and then it is just the body. The body is there for you to, to close your chapter, to close exactly. your curtain, to understand that role is over now. And you are now at a beginning and discovery of what your next role is in life. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. And it's, you know, of course, it's, it's not all going to happen right away at the no. end of the three to six days. No, but it's a process that started. It is. The yeah. process has started. And the other thing, I mean, there's an, uh, a number of other things that are involved in a home funeral. Uh, one is that the family can set up visitation however they want. They're not locked into yep. the funeral yeah. homes one hour that they pay mm -hmm. for, I mean, anywhere from 100 to $250 just for that hour. And of course, people are in this modern culture, people are flying in from all over the country, yes. from maybe from other countries to be there uh, for, you know, the, the, the memorial or the funeral or, um, and so they're not coming at the same time. So, you know, if, if they get to say that very personal yeah. body to body goodbye, you have to keep hiring the funeral home. Right. That visitation. Whereas if it's at home, the family can set it up however they want. So one of the examples I give is that a family could say, our door is open from 9 p.m. at night until 8 o'clock in the morning, but we're busy during the day. Don't bother us. Right. Which is something you, could, you just couldn't do in a funeral home. Right. right? Yeah. So that yeah. They, could, they can set it up in the way that works best for them and their needs. And so it's an ongoing funeral, you know, like when you go to a funeral, if you're so stoic, you know, I've already forbidden a miserable funeral. You know, I want, I want the, uh, the celebration of life. I want my simple funeral to be, I used to want to be cremated, but no, actually I, I want my ashes to be then planted in a tree. So, you know, mama keeps on growing, keeps on giving back. Right. And, uh, but it, it allows, I think that that process for people. But as you said, I'm thinking of my brother-in-law who was in Taiwan when his father died and he didn't make it back. And, and he was, I, I didn't make it. I didn't make it. And he felt so guilty, yeah. you know? So if the body is still there and it's still at home, it's still in the environment with everyone around, you know, a lot of people just want to cry or they want to lose it or they want to feel it. And they feel if they're in that funeral type thing, they've got to be in control and they have to hold back. Here you're allowing them to express their emotion in any which way, even if they say, I want to be private here. And they can let it all out, right? Exactly. Without worrying about it and express how you want to express without feeling ashamed or the stigma or anybody else looking at you and going, oh, what's up? Just do what you need to do. And but exactly. say your goodbye. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that might be three o'clock in the morning. Right. You, you know, go up, go to whatever room where the body is. And maybe you need to be angry. Yes. And say, you know, you, you know I'm angry at you for leaving me. Or, right. or there's things that you never resolved. And you, know, and you get a chance to say, I'm still holding this anger about this that happened in my childhood or whatever it is. But you get a chance to release that emotion when you're feeling it. So yes. you're not, you know, because the other option uh, or expectation with a funeral home is that you go in and cry on cue. Yes. And then you <laughs> yes. stop, right? right. You know? Yes. So yes. it really allows people to sort of go in and out of their own grief as they feel they, they need to. And, and while they're actually feeling it. And, um, and the other part of it too is, is that grief, healthy grieving is a wave. 
Yes. It goes diving deep into the grief or maybe the anger. And then it starts to lift up into laughter and funny stories about mm. the person. And then it goes into the mundane yeah. because you have to wash the kitchen floor. You have to feed the kids. You have right. to take the dog, dog for a walk. And then all of a sudden it goes diving back down yeah. again. And it's actually grief that is stuck, stuck yeah, in the grief or stuck out of the grief that is unhealthy. Yeah. When you have three to six days and that you, you have all of this time where you can go and deal with the feeling with the, pers with the person who's died when you're feeling it, then you move into this really healthy wave right. of grieving. And on top of that, you're with other people around you who are also going through that wave. Right. And one of the major difficulties in our culture about grief is we expect people to get over it. In three days right, or right. two weeks, yeah. you know, it's gone now. move on. Yes, yeah, exactly. Totally functional yeah. again, yeah. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and we're we're terrified. Yeah. We're all terrified of having our grief triggered in a public situation, right. or we're terrified of triggering somebody else's grief and feeling like we will then be responsible yeah. with it, and it will go on forever and ever. We've tr triggered them into something that will go on for hours at a time, right? But when you've actually had the experience over several days of going on this wave in and out of the grief and you've watched other people do it, then there is more openness to support each other when we do the dive into the grieving because we know that, okay, we can support them right. for 20 minutes or half an hour and then they're going to lift out of it and go do something else and, and next time it'll be us that dives in and they'll right. be there for us. And so we create within that small group of people who are around, you know, sharing the tasks and being supportive, et cetera, they create a community of grieving, of permission to grieve yes. and grieve when you need to grieve without fear of, you know, dumping yourself or dumping somebody else into this stuck grief that they can't get out of. And then you have also have a better chance of then carrying that, permission that community of grieving on past the time when the body has already been buried or cremated right and so you have a healthier community to grieve with right, right? with it, all of those restrictions in our our modern culture aren't there right and and you know you look at it you know um oh, i need the afternoon off to go to a funeral and so, you, you know, you go to this funeral and you know, all the emotions are there. You've got to hold them back. I've got to be back at the office. I've got to be back at this or that. And it's like, where's the respect? You know, respect for the person that you're saying goodbye to. Respect for what they meant in your life. Respect for what you're going through. You know, it, it, everything's meant to be on cue today, isn't it? Even when you give yeah. birth. You're, you're given birth now. You're out of the hospital in 24 hours. You know, the, uh, support at home. Ha, ha, ha. You know, suddenly you've got this baby, you're meant to know everything. You know, what about, what do you mean tired? You were 24 hours in labor. You know, I mean, it's like you've got other children at home that are demanding of you as well. And that suddenly there's a new kid there. You know, and whether it's birthing or whether it's passing over, what we're looking at is that we're human with emotions. And if we don't spend them, they bottle up, they lose the whole meaning, um, they start penetrating through our whole body and manifest in illness, um, yep. manifest in, in emotional problems. And this is one of the problems that we're having in society. It's get over it, shake it off. And yeah. no, it, you know, a birth coming into the world, we celebrate. It's not celebrate five minutes and get on with it. You know, it's a miracle. We need to support the family, the mom, the dad, and the other kids that are there. This is an yeah. event. A life coming into the world is an event. And a life leaving the world. You know, they've, it's the end of their book. But that doesn't mean the chapters that they've left behind shouldn't be talked about, shouldn't be celebrated, mm -hmm. shouldn't be embraced because you're just throwing somebody away without, oh, yeah, sad to see him go. Next. You know? <laughs> and if we don't give that, that respect of the journey going, you know, as I said, at a certain point, the spirit and the soul has moved on and left the body. That body is there for us to, to let go, to say goodbye, right. to, to move on. That's where, what it is. And we need that. And I think the reason why these traditions were around for thousands of years mm -hmm. is because they served. They served us all. But and in, in fact, 
you know, it, it, I mean, I think that um, these are probably some of the oldest rights. The birthing yeah. and the deathing are some of the oldest rights of the human species. You know, and we know, we know that, that there are other animals yes. who go through a grieving process at a death as well. Like, you know, those who are our closest ancestors, but things like elephants and, and whales do it. Um, and so this is, you know, something that is that's actually innate that was there even before we became homo sapiens. Right. Is to, to, to really attend to a birthing and a deathing. Um, well, we know that with birthing, you know, um, that, I mean, I love, you know, uh, Call the Midwife. It's yeah, me too, serious. favorite show. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, and, but, but then also how, you know, medicine came in, doctors came in and started taking over and then midwives even lost the right to be the midwife. You know, um, I was very fortunate with my first birth, even though it was in a hospital, I had a midwife nurse. And I swear she gave birth to my child at that point, right? <laughs> so, you know, she was so great. And uh, then the next time I had nothing but problems. My, I went into a coma. My son nearly died. I, you know, numerous problems. They broke the forceps, bringing him out. I mean, it was a nightmare. Wow. And I had a, a nurse there that didn't give me anything to eat or drink, cleaned up the surgery and not me, and left me there shivering for two hours because I was a spiritual person and not of her church. And so some issues there. But it it was, I'd already gone through horrific birthing, right? And he was taken away from me to be put in, you know, um, in incubator to be watched. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just left there. And, and it was, you know, a, a, a traumatic experience, which later when my doctor found out had her fired. And, but, you know, I, I was meant to feel guilty, you know, for, because it also, when they gave me an epidural, I only froze one half of my body. And so the other half of the body felt like an accordion of pain. I mean, everything <laughs> could go wrong with this birth, went wrong with this birth. The first time I'd had that great experience. And then, you know, the third one, they C-sectioned me. They said, we're not touching you. <laughs> so -section. But, you know, what a difference it makes of having somebody there that's loving and celebrating and caring and, and supportive through it uh, to somebody else that's just looking at you as a manufacturer, you know, that you've just popped something out, manufacturer, cleaning up the place, you know, out you can go now. Um, yeah. And if, why can't we do the same thing to someone that's exiting, somebody that is in the process of dying, it is a fearful thing. It's, you know, they know they're going. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, they, they've made terms with that, most people at that time period, especially if they've agreed to this. But there's still that fear. You know, what's on the other side? What's the transition like? You know, what's all of that? Or worry over the family you're leaving behind, especially if somebody is, is going through a disease and they're leaving a young family behind. I mean, there's high anxiety there. As there is with birth, there's a high anxiety with death. The more we can diffuse that and show community of support and love and to let the person going, don't worry, they're not going to be forgotten. We're going to be there for your family or, you know, let it go. I, I know when I saw my mother-in-law in hospital before she died, I knew she was going that day because um, mm -hmm. I've just worked with death in that way. And I just stroked her brow. I hope you're not hearing any background noise. We've got doing something terrible in the street there. So mm -hmm. it's not being picked up. But I stroked her brow, and which I find is so soothing just to stroke the brow and the head. And I could physically feel, although she was in a coma, I could feel less tension oh, with her. Yeah. And it reduced the tension around because I was softly talking to her, even talking to her just in her head. And I could feel that whole relaxing going on. What a difference it makes. She passed over within a few hours. And mm -hmm. You know, and that's, even if a person's in a coma, you can still help them through that transition. Actually, one of, one of my tools, uh, because I'm a singer, is to use vocal music. Right. And I, I work a lot with people in later stage dementia, uh, but also with people who are dying. And I've, you know, d worked with a lot of uh, dying people who are in comas. And singing to them in particular kinds of songs, you, yeah. you again, you can see yes. the wrinkles just slightly even out, you know, the brow unfurls, the cheeks kind of relax, the mouth opens up and, you know, the jaw is not being clenched anymore. Right. 
and all of that. And the other thing I wanted to, to make a point of, of, Sarah, is that one of the things that home funerals, but it's not just the home funeral. I mean, that's the piece that we've really lost in our culture. We have, you know, the pre-death, we have the, the development of advanced care planning and palliative care and hospices that are very supportive around the pre-death period. There's some limitations on what they're able to provide, but that's there. And we do have the funeral industry um, in terms of taking care of, of you know, the, the funeral service and the disposition, et cetera. It's that piece in the middle of caring yes. for the body that we, most people don't realize it's totally legal to do this, right? Another piece of, of I think, that, that middle part there of, uh, when you have the body at home is that um, you can personalize it. Yes. It you know, so, for example, one of the... the, the um, situations that I thought was most beautiful was a man who died who had been collecting political slogan t-shirts. And so they took all of his t-shirts, cut out the front into squares and made a quilt out of it. And that I think for, uh, during the time he was at home, it was, he was in a, a window bench, like, um, what do you call those? Bay windows. Yes. And they had the um, the quilt up on the over the windows, so it was up above him. And then when he went into the coffin, it was put on top of him, mm. and it was so personalized yes. to him. Yes. And that certainly, um, I mean, I know that the funeral pro uh, profession. There's some really beautiful funeral directors out yes. there, and they really do try their best yeah. to personalize things. But there are also a lot of uh, reports I hear, and I've actually seen it happen as well, where uh, the person who's primarily talking at the funeral service never met this person. Right. So what they're, they're um, talking about is highly generalized. Nice. And sometimes there are hymns sung, but this person wasn't a religious person. Right. Or, um, you know, those kinds of things where it, it wasn't personalized and so the funeral oh, no laughter no laughter everything so stoic right yeah. right yeah so the, the funeral which is supposed to be that process of the very final letting go and actually uh, sarah i do believe in funerals as being different from celebrations of life and memorials so i really think funerals are about the the more intimate family and of course that is the chosen family um being able to to mourn the passing of this person, the fact that this uh, that they will not be with them anymore. I certainly encourage people if there's a green burial ground to to be directly involved. Most green burial grounds will allow you to at least fill in the grave, and there is something again a gestalt that happens, a cathartic thing that happens when you hear that and you see that dirt thudding on the coffin. It's like that is the last moment that they could open the coffin lid, right. lid and get up and say, actually, I'm not really dead. Right? <laughs> yes. you know? yes. And your psyche knows that. Mm -hmm. I know. And so there's a real sense that we overuse the word closure, but I don't know what the other word is. Right. There's a real sense of closure there of this is really the end. There is no chance, any chance whatsoever of this person coming back to life and deep down in our gut we get that sense. Well, coming back to life in, hum in physical form, because, you know, the life after death, the spirit and the soul and everything of the presence of that being is your relationship with them and is very, very strong. Uh, and that's something we've got to understand when it's an end of life, it's an end of the physical life, not the end of their, their psyche, their presence, their presence will still be there. But the, in the ending of the physical means is the end of the touch of that human conversation which is a gift to humanity mm -hmm. to be able to touch to kiss to hold to communicate in a way in the spirit world it's a very different type of communication it's all vibrational and feeling so it's that last time you're going to hold somebody or that last time you're going to be able to kiss them or that last time you're going to be able to look into their eyes and talk to them so it's an end of that connection but it doesn't mean mm -hmm. an end of another connection exactly but it also means that you can end that connection and open the door to the other one yeah. without the pain at so much. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, very much grieving, grieving theory is now very much moving to, this is not the end of a relationship. Yes. It's a transformation of a relationship, right? Um, but you, you do, your deepest psyche needs to let go of the body and the face-to-face -face interaction yeah. part of it to be able to move into that transformation of the relationship. And, and just simply having the body there for several days Yes. allows you to to make that kind of transition and then of course being able to personalize it in the way that you know is relevant to the person who's died and to the family around them and you know this the community of grieving and all of that all of those things just add to the sense of really really honoring the person yes and that was and the particular person to person relationship that was and then being able to let it go and transform into this new relationship with them right i mean you know this this was to do with my dog not a human but you know, my, when my dog was, was going and she was old, we knew it was time and we had the vet come in and my son made her a steak dinner. And when the vet came, she was having a huge bowl of, of ice cream <laughs> and my son and his girlfriend were there. And it, she literally went, you know, with me in her arms, face to face, looking in my eyes. And then he just left us for a bit. He went into another room and just allowed us to have our goodbyes, let her energy rise and then say, you know, we now can let her go. And then he took her. But just having that, just having that time, mm -hmm. of, you know, because now it's, it's over. She's gone. She's gone. You know, and you're still holding her. And you know, I still miss that beautiful mane and those ears that I could grab and kisses. I still miss that desperately. But it helps you, you know, to know that, that you can let go rather than it's the sterile thing of you know just oh go and put them down and and you and that's the end what you're meant to just move on now we don't yeah. we can't move on now right and don't tell me to get over it don't tell me what length of grief should be there and when we see prolonged grief you know oh right, i'm going to admit some people are laying in the drama of it because they're, <laughs> they're those kind of people but the most of the time is because they have not gone through the proper grief process to let go exactly Exactly. And, and the other thing, when you were talking about the spirit leaving, I mean, I've, I've sung, uh, sung pets through mm. euthanasia mm -hmm. um, as well. And, but with pets, even, uh, even with pets, including, uh, but humans as well, if you are sensitive to the spirit as distinct from the body, there is, you have the chance to feel the spirit leaving the body and and to sort of zoom into are there any threads that are still yeah. connected that need to be let go yes and is is there any you know is that spirit looking backwards for something from me or are you know is it freely moving forward and that in itself makes a huge difference in terms of grieving the death if you, if you if you have a sense that that spirit has done what it needed to do in this world and with you, and it is ready to move on, then that can take a lot of um, the, um, the, it's not just the grief, but it's the uh, stress. And, and particularly around a pet, when you're euthanizing, there's always that question of, am I doing this at the right yes. time? I'm yes. making choice yes. on their behalf. They're not making yeah. the choice. Mm -hmm. Am I doing the right thing? Yes. And so that feeling of the spirit leaving and it's, you know, there may be thin trails, silver trails, but they're, they're, they're dissolving. Mm. Um, and, and that feeling like, okay, they're okay with this. Yeah. That can yes. make a huge difference. Right. I mean, saying goodbye to anybody you love at any time is hard, right? You know, you've got people in a divorce or people who are moving away. I mean, it's always hard when you've made a connection with people and they leave you. But with death, it's so final. And that's the thing. Okay. Now, what if, um, here's the question I know that's being asked. is like, how do you keep the, you know, the body bloats? You know, and you've got that whole thing that's going on of the decay, you know, and you're talking five or six days, you know, I mean, what about that? Well, first of all, the body doesn't decay that quickly. Okay. I mean, people have an assumption that it, 
you know, is it, it autom you know, within an hour it starts to decompose. Well, that's actually not true. It has to go through rigor first. Mm -hmm. And it's really rigor depends on rigor mortis depends on the muscle mass because that's what's stiffening up is the muscle mass, right? right. So for infants or very frail elderly people, rigor mortis doesn't last that long because there isn't enough flesh. Right. With a larger person um, who has more meat on their bones, it'll take a longer time. Um, but it can take up to 72 hours for the body to come out of rigor. And it's at that point that it really starts to decompose. What we do is as soon as we've washed and dressed the body, then we use ice packs, a very special kind of ice packs. Um, that I mean, you can use ordinary ice packs, but these ones... Um, they they can be frozen colder and they absorb more heat. Right. And that's, that's what you're trying to do is pull the heat out of the body, right? And so you're lining the back of the body. If they're lying on their back, then you're lining underneath their back. Um, and in the armpits and in the groin, yeah. you're putting this ice to pull out the heat because the blood is going, like because of gravity, the blood is going to pool in the lower regions or the closed regions. And so that's where you want to pull the heat out. And as long as like what we try for, I mean, nobody bothers to actually check the temperature, but we, we yeah. kind of know uh, the range is about four degrees Celsius because you don't want to freeze the body. Right. But you want to keep it cold. Right. And, um, and, and that will to stop the decaying process for quite a long period of time. So over the six days, the person will get a little grayer because all the pool has blood, right. uh, pooled, um, all the blood has pooled in right. their back. Um, and there, you know, the, the, the eyes may shrink back a little bit. The mouth will start losing a little bit of flesh because that's one of the places where you, you start first to lose flesh. But it happens so gradually and you're seeing them all the time right. that you don't really notice it. And, or even well, what what about the bloating, it, though? Uh, it's, they don't bloat. They don't, okay. Because every movie you see, a body it, bloats. It, it, it takes <laughs> a lot longer and the decomposition process has to be much, in much more fuller gear okay. uh, than it would be by six days, especially if you're cooling the body. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's really important, people always ask, well, but isn't it dangerous to be around a dead body? Well, no, the bacteria that takes over to do decomposition is no harm mm -hmm. to a healthy person, process. Right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, a dead person is less infectious than a living person right? because they're not breathing anymore. Right. right? So unless, they, you know, uh, if they have open infected sores, you know, and you have been cleaning and bandaging them with gloves. You would continue to do that after death. But other than that, um, there's really nothing that's going to infect you. And it's certainly not the decom decompos decomposing right. bacteria. Now, does it have to be six days? Can it be less if people have a time frame that they can't do a six days? It's, um... It can be whatever they want. I right. mean, I, I recommend three days at least to go through that process. Mm -hmm. But if the person has already been in a long dying process, right. you may not need those three days to get to the, the, the reality yeah. of the death, the distinction between the relationship and the body, all, all those sorts of things. Um, and I've also had one situation in which uh, the body was at home for... I can't remember, it was five or six days, and the energy started turning towards the family holding on to the body rather right. than letting it go. Yes, yes. So I don't recommend more than six days. And then and six days really if they're mostly if there are people coming in from yeah. other parts of the country or other countries right. who need to say their goodbyes. Right. Beyond that, then the energy starts switching around right. to, you know the kind of attention that you're getting because that body is there and, and really sort of holding on to the body to holding on to the attention you're getting. Um, so it, I, I'm sure people have done it longer than that and run, not run into that problem, but because I have, I, I really encourage people not to go on longer than that. Right. Um, but now, people are still going to need to get a coroner to come in and do the time of death, right? For legalization. No, no, no. Um, 
if it, if it is an expected death, there is a, right. a form called the notification of expected death that the primary physician signs. Right. And that simply says, I mean, because this is an expected death, the coroner does not need to be involved. And in fact, uh, the doctor or nurse practitioner can also do it, um, doesn't need to pronounce death immediately. So you can wait until you've already done the physical death care and you've had the first visitation and then invite them to come as long as you've recorded the time that they died. Right. right? It isn't necessary to call them in, in right away. Right. So you really have that intimate time, those first couple of hours. You Without really have an intrusion of somebody yeah. else coming in pronouncing death. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, when you get to that either third or sixth day or whatever day it is, that's when you call your your funeral parlor to come and take the body because you yourself. Not necessarily. No? So, no. I mean, is it legal for you to bury the body yourself? No, it is right. not. But it is legal to transport the body okay. yourself. You, in BC, you have to have a permit, for example. In Alberta, you don't. It's right. different in every province. Um, and you can make the arrangements directly with the, the crematorium or the cemetery. Um, they may want some, you know, they'll want someone from their personnel or they will hire a fuel director to come in and supervise just to make sure everything's mm -hmm. tickety-boo. Um, but especially with uh, a green burial, um, I know in our area, uh, the Royal Oak Green Burial, you're allowed, the family is allowed to get in the grave and, and lower the body down. They're allowed to uh, fill the grave entirely and then allowed to come and plant indigenous plants on it at the proper planting time. And if you choose uh, cremation, uh, you'll have to talk to the crematorium, but it is, in fact, a legal request to be the one to be present as it happens and for someone in the family to, be the, to push the button that mm -hmm. starts the fire. So all of these are closure things, you know, right. sort of the very final closure things. Um, that the family can be directly involved in. Now, of course, this is something, you know, like I, I wouldn't assume that my kids would want to do that. Um, so if this is something, if you know you want to go this way, has to be discussed ahead of time. Absolutely. Right? So this is not like, oh, it's suddenly spring, and this is what we're doing. No, this is something where you need to talk to the whole family, and this, this is the choice. If you're not comfortable with a certain thing, okay, you don't have to do it. Somebody else will. But it really has to be something that's planned ahead of time. It is. And there needs to be at least one person He's who is willing to take on the, the major responsibility because as you read at the very beginning in the introduction, yeah. death midwives are facilitators of yes. the process. It's not for us to do it. It is for us to support the family right. to do it, right? And how to do it, the support of how to do it, right? Because a lot of it is like, they're gone. What do I do now? It doesn't matter <laughs> what they've been taught, right? Everything goes out the window. So having somebody there now who is calm, Okay, now yeah. this is what we and need. knows this the steps, the and, yeah. you know, and yeah. what paperwork has to yes. be filed when, yes. and you know, when is the when is it this person likely to go into rigor mortis? So we, you know, yes. let's try and do the, the physical death care before that, and those kinds of things. I mean, I I actually do do I do training um, workshops on how to to take care of your own dead. But the, you are right when it actually happens. There's, you know, you're it doesn't matter how expected the death is, you still go into a certain kind of shock or at least yes. a, a sort of liminal space. A realization, oh my God, it's actually happened. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's really, really helpful to, um, to have somebody who is a third party who is very supportive but is not the, the people who are emotionally involved to make sure everything's going along as it needs to be and same um, as you would as, as a midwife there being there for the birth you don't want to do it on your own yeah. you want somebody there right and so it's the same process it's just the other end no. of life right that's right just the other end now yeah. i know that you you know you're uh, fighting for the deaf midwifery to be recognized because when they redefined midwifery they cut off the dead death midwifery and you're trying to bring this back you know as as a proper legitimate procedure. Uh, can you talk about that in any way? 
Uh, I can a little bit. I mean, I'm in a court case now that is not resolved. So at this point, I don't know how, where it's going to end up. Um, what in BC and, and, and in fact in other provinces as well, uh, in the Health Professions Act and the midwife regulations, midwife itself, which is very, very clearly only refers to birth midwives, is a reserved title exclusively for them. And so what we're saying is that only existed for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Before that, for thousands of years, yes. midwifery involved attending birth, attending to death. And that, um, that birth midwives don't have exclusive rights to that term. Right. Um, that there is, there really is no other term, especially if someone is practicing pandas, which by between means the full spectrum, before, during, after. Right. So there are, there are people who train to be death doulas who primarily focus on pre-death up until the, mm-hmm. the shortly after the death. Then there's people called home funeral guides who are the facilitators of the home funeral, that's three or however long it is, up to six-day process. And then there are funeral celebrants who will do the funeral service or memorial or celebration of life, whatever it is the family chooses. A death midwife does all of those. And so you have a continuum of the same person Mm -hmm. that you hopefully build a relationship of trust with over that period of time, right? The same way that birth midwives are committed to the mother and the child pan birth, right? So possibly as early as conception and how to conceive, but definitely through the pregnancy, labor, delivery, and postpartum. So it's the same kind of of pan-death or pan-continuum. And so in Sundia, we believe that that death mid, the word death midwife should really only refer to those people who are doing the full pan death continuum, paralleling what a birth midwife would right. do. Right. And so you're not reinventing anything. What you're doing is reviving. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and it was taken away through somebody's judgment, and you're saying no, put it back. It was there thousands of years. Put it back. <laughs> but there's there's two sort of other elements of that. I mean, part of it is we're we're saying we're not. On one level, we're not trying to change the legislation. We're just saying we should have an exemption yes. as doctors have an exemption. I mean, there are things like tree surgeons and rug doctors and lock doctors, et cetera, and those are exempted. They're just people understand that they're not yeah. offering medical services. So why bother making an issue of it? Right. And uh, the College of Midwives is saying that people are going to get confused between a birth midwife and a death midwife. And my response birth, is... midwife, death <laughs> midwife. Where's yeah. the confusion? <laughs> uh, sort of, why would the public assume that a death midwife provides birthing services to the dying? Right? That just doesn't right. make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not going to get confused. Right. And so we should be exempted. Right. We also have a little bit of an issue with the whole idea of taking one, a singular word from the common lexicon and making it exclusive to one body of people. Right. So, you know, we, we would prefer to see uh, birth midwives refer to themselves as registered midwives mm-hmm. or something. They're registered with the, the College of Midwives. That means that they've, they have uh, a certain standard of training. They have a regulatory body. They are supervised in that way. And that's, that's appropriate because now midwifery, birth midwifery is a health profession. Right. We are not health professionals. No. We do not treat. We do not do medicine. We are there simply to facilitate the family to go through a very hands-on personalized process with the death, right? So we don't belong in the Health Professions Act. Right. And, um, and that was never actually considered when they wrote the right. legislation. Um, yeah. So, so you're wanting definition. You want clear definition of what a dead midwife does so people aren't getting confused. This is no attack on midwifery, birth midwifery. This is just a clear definition of your role so people actually understand exactly what they're getting and how to refer to it. 
It's actually even, it's not even quite that, Sarah. It's because most people, if I ask them, you know, people stop me on the street because I have a button that says, ask me, what is a death midwife, right? So, <laughs> so often people stop me on the street or I'm standing, you know, at a counter with a clerk and the clerk sees the button and says, okay, I'm going to ask. Mm -hmm. And often what I do is I say, okay, well, what do you think it is? And they immediately said, well, it's kind of like birth midwifery, except the other end, you know, like yeah. maybe you do it at home. It's more personalized. They get it. Get it. So yeah. the public is not confused. Right. Um, what we need to clarify, and, and the, the College of Midwives have no problem with what I actually do. It's the right. word, right? Yes. And so what we want is an exemption to, from that reserved title so that we can use the word the word that people understand, you know, yeah. they don't understand all, all of the stuff about a home funeral because in, particularly in urban areas, in rural areas, yeah. they're, you know, they're likely to have carried on yeah. in many places, carried on taking care of their own dad. And that's just the way it is for them. Right. But in urban areas, uh, we've been so trained that we can't handle being around right. the dead. We can't, yes. and never mind, touch them and wash them and clean right. them. Exactly. And I do no. Nobody come back to haunt me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even with funeral directors, um, I honestly believe that it's not them who are um, for, you know, the sake of their business telling people you won't be able to deal with death. I think they are actually trained. Mm-hmm. And, and I went through a situation with a man who died and his wife was in Japan. She was Japanese. And so he'd been dead for three days in the house. He'd had a heart attack. So she flew back. We went to the funeral home and because he had been sent immediately to the funeral home as soon as he was found. And uh, we tried to explain to the funeral director that in Japan, which is where she's from, the body always comes home. Mm -hmm. after the death and no 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 you don't want to see him you don't want to see yeah. him you want to you know you that whole thing of you want to remember him right. the way he was when he was alive you don't want to see this dead body we had to go back three times the myself and then i had uh, a friend who was uh who was japanese and spoke japanese so he could translate for the wife we went back three times before he would allow us to see the body and so we were so like we were like oh my god he must be awful he's yes. you know taken that much time to agree to it so we went in with her and the the translator had never seen a dead body before and there what he was you know covered up to the mm. to his neck with a, a nice blanket and there were a couple purple blotches on his face but you know like well, elderly people often have those when they're alive his lips had slightly collapses the flesh was kind of going down that was all right and nobody was freaked out she right. wasn't freaked out this man the translator who had never seen a dead body was not freaked out um so it really felt like he had that the funeral director had been trained right to tell people that they could not handle right. it, uh, even seeing a dead body right. unless it was embalmed and made up to look right. like it's sleeping etc right. it's like that's just not real Right. It's not reality. Right. Yeah. And, and it feels kind of more fake when you look at somebody that suddenly they're looking all pretty and they didn't look like that in the final days or anything else, you know, the way, oh, but if they look that good, maybe they could have lived that longer. You know, so many people have said, Sarah, you know, that doesn't look like my grandmother. Right. right. It's not, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not the kind of makeup she would have worn. It's right. not the way her face would have settled. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, all those sort of things, right? That and it feels fake. It feels, it feels unreal. Fake. So therefore it's even more disconnecting. It's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, it's, it's something I truly advocate. I think it's beautiful. You know, I think that midwifery of a, you know, even if it is a midwife in a hospital, if, if you are a high risk, I was a high risk pregnancy person. Mm -hmm. So even if it is that, but you know, we should have a right to choose 
how we bring birth into the world and we should have the right to choose how we wish to exit. And I think more and more people actually understand this and not are fearful of it, you know, that the body isn't going to burst, uh, you know, which a lot of people <laughs> think are going to happen all around the room. That doesn't happen, folks. Or, you know, the ghost is going to get up and consume you. This is all, you know, media. This is all TV. And really what it is, is that you're paying your respect and you're allowing your grief to go through the process. You're saying your goodbyes on your terms. And it's both respectful to the person that's passing over. It's also paying respect to you and how yes. you feel about that person. So how can it be negative in any way? It can't, right? And it doesn't have to be the six days. As you say, that's up to it. Maybe you can only do it for a couple of days, but it doesn't matter. Whatever the time period, allow yourself to have that closure instead of like suddenly the body's gone. Are, are they alive? Are they not? <laughs> you know, uh, am I making dinner for them? Where are they? You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or are they going to come back from Finland or, or Timbuktu in three years' time, right? <laughs> you know? Sarah, I've lost sound. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, no? yes, okay. Oh, I wanted to mention one last thing before we close, just for people to know that you actually have the right to take the body home from the hospital, hospice, or residential care. They do not have to die home to have a home funeral. Right, okay. That's a good point to know because if somebody does die in a home, how do you do all of that? you know, uh, caring. So the fact that you can then bring the body home, I think is really, really important um, and a good point to have. So of course, now if people have any more questions, um, and, you know, on, on this, uh, on everything, how did they get hold of you? And I know you've got stacks of information on your website, <laughs> videos and everything, which is wonderful. You've really gone into detail. So will you give your website and will you let people know how they can get hold of you? Okay, well, the website is Cindia. Uh, .ca. And just to clarify, CINDIA is an acronym for Canadian Integrative Network for Death Education and Alternatives. I've learned <laughs> to say that all in one project. Just <laughs> spell it out for people, love. Hmm? Spell it out for people so they got the right spelling. C-I-N-D-E-A dot C-A. And any of the contact us on there will go directly to me. And just as a last Final note, that acronym is also a girl's name, which means moonlight. Ah, moonlight. There we go. And basically what you are looking at is people are going off into their moonlight, right? It's the end of yeah. the day. The, the moon is setting, right? And we, we want to give them that beautiful, peaceful setting as when we look at that moon and we look at it set, it's always a sense of peace, and end of the day, you know, the new newness tomorrow. And so it's actually very apropos of letting, letting that sunset or that moonrise on a person, which I think is very beautiful. So yes. um, excellent. And so, um, you know, please folks reach out. Um, it is c-i-n-d-e-a dot c-a not dot com dot c-a. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this, this is, it's beautiful. I mean, we were all going to go. I don't care who you are, how rich you are, how famous <laughs> right. you are, you're all going to go. And wouldn't you want to go in, the, in a way that you know that this gives you people a chance? And, uh, and I know there's an awful lot of people out there that are, are dying alone or they don't have many people around them. And so it doesn't have to be family or close friends. Mm. It, it could be just people you know at church or know somewhere else that you know. Exactly. You know, why not even a 24-hour period? of showing them respect to something instead of like they're just taken off and everybody's forgotten them already you know because we want to know our lives count we want to know that you know that they're and we also want to know that our our, our loved ones lives yes. count to their yes. community yes right? i yes. mean we're sort of in that sense you know protective of their memory and right. we want to know that that they are remembered and they are honored and we're giving them a chance yes. those all those people to really hold that person in a really meaningful and and um profound kind of way i think a lot of people older people's fear is will i be forgotten will exactly. anyone care and we want to let them know yes and by planning this and letting them know this is the way you're going to go out it shows you care right exactly and doesn't everybody want to know that we we're careful right so exactly. it's a beautiful way to go. I'm going to have to speak to my kids. 
watch the freak out, but have them re-decide, have them listen to this. And, and I think it's a beautiful, honorable way to our death. And as I said, in many cultures, it's a standard thing. In Western society, we're so quick to just dismiss next. And this is the reason, right? yeah. Exactly. And this is the reason why we're having so many emotional problems today because we do not know how to deal with grief or with stress or with anything else. And this is a process that can really help people on their way. So thank you so much. It's been beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sarah. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Until next time, folks, let us give the celebration of life a wonderful welcome and let us say goodbye in dignity and respect to those that are passing over they're ascending to a beautiful other uh, energy another realm but let us say thank you for what they've given us through the time that we've known them in that respect and that dignity and in their ascension and until next time folks bye for now for more wonderful shows like this, please go to selfdiscoveryradio.com, podcast and see our lineup. And if you wish to support us, we have a funded button. Please stay tuned for our next show.